Hey, Jason Flavlin here. Today I'm going to talk about morning routines. I think they're kind of important. Most people don't have a morning routine. They have a morning as in like an, oh God, woe is me. I can't get out of bed. Uh, it's okay. It's human. It's relatable. Marcus Aurelius in the book Meditations devotes two separate passages uh, to the challenge. Here's an emperor running a whole company, well, bigger than a company, right? I, I always think in terms of companies, think about how big that company is, and he can't get out of bed some mornings. It's tough for him. So this is a challenge. The good news is, is if you do it right, I think you will, for most of you, not all of you, there's a few of you who you can't have a morning routine. We'll talk about that. But for most of you, I think that this will create a more optimal environment for you to not only achieve more, but to feel better in your own skin too. Now, here's what's interesting about this. I build an eight-figure-a-year business with a morning routine that essentially consisted of Diet Cokes and Marble Lights. There's nothing more motivating to get you out of bed in the morning than the withdrawal from nicotine and caffeine simultaneously. Uh, the caffeine one is not that big of a deal, but the nicotine is I got to smoke that cigarette first thing up on the morning. Uh, for many years, I was a smoker and I built a business successfully as a smoker. So my point is, it's not impossible to achieve insanely high rare goals without a morning routine. So you don't need one. But for most of you, having one will be better than not having one. Now, not everyone can have one, by the way. Some people are just genetically predisposed or however the scientists want to classify it, where you are a night out. Now, not as many of you are as you think, though. Some of you are using that as a convenient crutch. So that way you don't put a little discipline first to get that freedom. Like Jocko Willink would say, discipline equals freedom. I would suggest you try hard on a morning routine, and then after a while, if it doesn't work for you, then you can acquiesce, if you will. So I think at least 90% of you, uh, a good morning routine will be a game changer for you. Now, with that said, even those of you who need a routine, you have to allow for some variance and not too much rigidity in your routine. Drastic life events will come in the way and will disrupt you. The idea, though, is more times than not, more days than not, more ways than not, we find a routine that works well within our own conditions and parameters of success and well-being. I'm just going to share mine specifically with you with some of the insights. You can model mine as much or as little as you want. Keep the principles in mind as much as the specifics. So here we go. I try to awake with the sun. So I don't have a fixed time in which I wake up because depending on where you live, sometimes the sun comes up earlier and sometimes it comes up later. For most of us, that's the case. And so I try to align my biological clock and my circadian rhythm with that of the sun. Uh, ideally, I wake up right before the sun comes up because not only do I get to see the sun come up, but I found that's where I get in sync. Uh, and that works well for me, especially I don't have an alarm clock and I don't have any place to be at a certain specific time. I'm fortunate in that regard, although sometimes we make our own fortune. Now, when I wake up, the first thing I try to do, not always successful, but about 80% of the time I'm successful, is I get outside right away as soon as I possibly can. And the, the goal there is to get sun on you immediately because this really does set the circadian rhythm in motion. I learned a lot of this from Andrew Huberman. If you don't listen to his podcast, I absolutely recommend it uh, with the neuroscience and, and the biology behind how some of these things work. So I get outside right away, and I generally will do one of three things. I will either chant and meditate, uh, I'll journal, uh, or I'll read a book. And that's how I can get outside, get that fresh air, get that sun, and sit out there for about 10 to 15 to 20 to 30 minutes in the morning. 
And if nothing else, the sun just starts to feel really good on you. He's like, man, this feels better than a lot of things out there, these cheap thrills that exist. And I get this for free. Uh, and it feels really good and it kind of alerts you and awakens you and you try to get in a state of gratitude as as quick as you possibly can. I want to enter, just so you know, this is where I try to go, that alpha brainwave state as soon as I possibly can. So I had the pleasure of working with Dr. Don Wood. He did a four-hour session. That's This is his claim to fame. Uh, he can fix trauma in four hours in one session. It's it's miraculous. I went to him because I was having some performance anxiety with my business. I had hit this threshold and I was making it too complicated. I was in my head too much. So I sought some relief. So I hired him as a coach. And in four hours, he went in there and we had fun. But the, the purpose of his four-hour sessions was, he says, it's hard to have change unless you're in that alpha state, that alpha brainwave state. He says, that's where Einstein operated in. So it's it's not when we're like so hard thinking about the problems of the day or like, okay, I got this, 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 and this to do today. That's not an alpha state. An alpha state is that state of ease. It's almost like a flow state. But I want to get in that state where I'm just being and the answers are coming to me. And they're revealing themselves more than me trying to figure them out with the limited capabilities of the logical brain. That's what I'm going for, to try to get in that brainwave state. Here's what I love to have happen. And this happens a lot for me now, where all of a sudden I'll get a fit of inspiration. I'll be like, I got to go. I got to create something. I got to do something. And my creations are commercial. So typically it's solving business problems in, in unique and interesting, innovative ways. And I get that itch. I'm like, I got to do it. Here's what I do. I resist it for a little bit. I don't immediately give into it. And the psychology is important as to why. Um, if I have to really fight that, that initial impulse to want to act on it and, and it, it and I don't give into it, it builds up and it becomes greater and greater and greater. So when I let myself off the leash, I make a beeline for that office and I'm in this state of like, I'm ready to go. Like, let's do it. And most people do the opposite. Uh, they fight really hard to get going. They, they do pep talks to talk to themselves into taking action. I do the opposite. I got to like talk myself out of taking action so I can get revved up properly. And so I flip the, re the response. I flip that general pattern. It's harder for me not to take action than it is for me to take action. And I maintain that state. And that's the reason is I, I get in that gratitude state for so long that I'm like, I got to go, I got to go, but I don't want to spoil it yet. Okay, okay, now go. So then when I do sit down to produce, it's like a gift. Like, okay, I, I am now in the, the most revved up state. I don't just give in to the first fit of inspiration. I amplify it. And then I go in on it. And a typical work session for me is anywhere between 60 and 120 minutes uh, from, from an hour to two hours of flow as much as I possibly can. Uninterrupted deep work, that style of state um, where you're just producing and, and you're working towards creating something greater out of nothing that currently exists to try to improve, optimize, extend, whatever you want to call it. That's what I'm working on. And what the, why the variance between 60 and 120 minutes? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One of the reasons is I, I try to block the sessions to do tasks that only take about 60 to 75 minutes to complete. So if I say, okay, this is the thing I want to have be done by the end of the session, I anticipate it to be about 60 to 75. I try to, to plan that. Now, here's the thing that's very interesting. You read all these books like Thinking Fast and Slow, um, and they all prove you the same thing, that we are terrible forecasters when it comes to planning from a time perspective. We are just 
we're ill-equipped. We have we don't have the right tools for it. But something that I think will take 60 minutes sometimes could take four hours. Uh, sometimes I think stuff that'll take 60 minutes takes four minutes when it's all said and done. And I allow for that variance. Uh, over the years, I have gotten a little bit better at it. But I just accept it. So sometimes if, if I'm in there and I'm rocking and rolling and I can see the finish line and I knock it out and it's 63 minutes in, then boom, I punch out early. Other times it becomes more than two hours and I hit about two hours and it's still not there, then I step away. I try never to go more than two hours. The only exception is if I have an absolutely, it must ship drop dead date that something has to go out. That's going to be for you as well. Um, the other times where I'll punch out early is when I hit a point of diminishing returns. I've done this enough now to trust my intuition to say, okay, it's time to step away. For most of you, I do not recommend that. I recommend you set an exact time limit and you work towards it. Even if it's staring at that blank screen for 60 minutes, you don't do anything but try to move the ball forward. You either stand there and look at the ball or you move it forward, <laughs> but you don't do anything else. And that, that allows you to build those disciplines and structures and it allows you to get to know yourself better and you will be inventive and creative and you will become productive. Um, the, the funny thing about that is people typically go from professional procrastinators to workaholics with very little in between, but that's dangerous. Uh, it becomes addictive and all addiction leads to destruction unless you intervene. And so for me, because I have hit workaholism, I uh, was a pro at that, black belt, fourth degree, I've learned to now trust when it's time to step away. And so I try to do that. There's other times I'll have to step away, like, hey, I got to take the kids to the dentist or whatever. So there's going to be variation in morning routines. Sometimes I just know when it feels right. So that's when I call it, even if I'm not at a point of diminishing returns. But I have that first work session of the day, that deep work session where I just, I go in. And I seize it and I do the best I can possibly do with the conditions internal and external at that time. And when it's done, I immediately step out and I try to switch the context as quickly as possible. So the con context went from high cognitive functioning to let's remove the cognitive function as much as possible. My favorite thing is to take the dogs outside. I got a big dog, big German Shepherd, and I got a little tiny dog. I don't, we don't even know what she is. Uh, and I go out with them and I watch them frolic and play. Uh, and it's so fun and it's so beautiful. And I try to take in, I got this beautiful mountain outside of my backyard. And I just look at that mountain. So I'm, I go from this zoomed in, very close focus to this relaxed, eyes dilated sort of panoramic focus to switch that context as well. Uh, I try to meditate again, uh, Wim Hof breathing. I got a trampoline and inbuilt trampoline in the in the ground in the backyard. So I'll go jump on the trampoline. If, the, if it's summertime and the kids are not in school, I'll try to co-op them in to go jump with me. So I get that low physical exercise, that exertion of low physical exercise. And I learned this technique from Stephen Kotler who wrote the book Flow. He's like the expert at it. And I was in a, a meeting with him once and I said, I said, here's the problem. I feel like I burn all my neurotransmitters when I go in and I do this flow state. I get in a flow state for an hour or two and then I come out and I'm just wiped. And he goes, yeah, you should be wiped. So the worst thing you could possibly do would be to watch TV or anything else where there's a lot of changing imagery, a lot of constant context switching. He says the best thing to do is to do some low physical exertion. So walking the dogs for like, he said, for 10 to 20 minutes, that low physical exertion, he says, seems to be the best thing. You're switching that modality from the mind to the body. So I do that, right? Then I'll go back at it for another session, uh, most of the days. 
and uh, I'll get another 60 to 120 minutes in. And then guess what? The rest of my workday is re returning phone calls, following up with text messages, responding to emails. But occasionally there will be things in the afternoon that need to be dealt with from a business perspective. But there are different types of tasks than the main thing that I contribute to the business, which is strategic thinking, strategic problem solving, uh, and specific things in marketing campaigns that I am the best or one of the best in the world at doing both on a tactical and a strategic level. Now, what about caffeine? <laughs> Do I consume? Am I an addict to the coffee? It's one of the vices in my life. One of the only ones that I have in terms of where I would say I am moderately addicted. I drink two cups most of the time. Very, very rarely will I drink more than two cups of coffee. Uh, now, my my approach to coffee consumption has changed over the years. And in fact, I've tested for long periods of time without caffeine. And I just have given up on that fact. I just, the only time I was ever to make no caffeine work was when I was a monk, when they said, you're not supposed to have those stimulants. So I didn't. So for about four years, I didn't have the coffee, but I was meditating two to four hours a day. I am going to take the coffee instead. So I, I am fortunate. Uh, some would say unfortunate, but I think I'm definitely fortunate. I'm friends with Dave Asprey, who really made this bulletproof coffee concept become a worldwide thing when you grind it from the beans, put some collagen in there, put some MCT oil in there, put some butter in there, and then blend it and then drink it that way. That's how I consume it. And here's what's really cool because I fast. I don't break my fast. even so, so if I wake up in the morning, I go outside and then I do my deep work and then I take a quick break and then I do another session of deep work and then I'm done. Usually in between the, the first and session, second session is when I'll have my coffee. And then I'll have another cup when I'm done, usually, or after I get back from the sauna. Because sometimes I'll finish up the workday and then I'll go immediately and do red light therapy, sauna, and a cold plunge. And then the day is officially done. Uh, and then I'll usually go pick the kids up from school. And then it's about two or three o'clock in the afternoon before I actually eat anything. I like to fast. Uh, the ideal window for me is between three to seven is when I eat all my meals. Um, lately, I haven't been that good at it. But the hack here, the biological, it's not really a hack because the biology is you get a lot of calories from MCT and you get a lot of calories from the butter. Um, but somehow they do not create a, a, a breaking of the biological fast. Your body still stays in the same fasting state it would have if you didn't consume the calories. So I don't ever have the feeling of hunger. Not really. And I can sustain that fast and easily till 2 or 3 p.m. almost every single day. And if I'm in a fasted state, but I'm not feeling the gnaws of hunger pains, I'm at my cognitive best. Uh, also, interestingly enough, as in the sauna, is I can go at higher degrees of temperatures for longer. Same thing with the cold water. I can handle cold water better when I'm in a fasted state. There's so many things that I can do better in a fasted state. I'd like to stay in that fasted state as much as I possibly can, uh, not only for productivity reasons and for cognitive functioning, but it just seems for me and my biology at this point in time of my life, it seems the best for me. The most important thing, though, that I can tell you about the morning routine is it should start the night before. This is something a lot of people miss. Your ritual for bedtime and for sleep is going to largely determine how well your morning routine works. Uh, and so it's hard to have a good morning routine if you also don't have a good nighttime routine. Um, so the very first thing I would focus on if I were you is optimizing sleep. Do that and don't make your morning routine complicated because really good sleep will make everything else I, sh I, I said easier. Bad sleep will make everything else harder. So make sleep priority number one. 
what happens before, directly before, or a little bit before sleep, and directly after sleep upon waking. Start there and take off small bites if you have to, and then extend it over time. Remember this, though. You don't step in the same river twice because you've changed, and so has the river. So you have to be structured with this, but you have to allow flexibility as well. You will change over time, and so will your needs, your chemistry, your biology, the demands for your time, your own personal desires. Those will change. And so therefore, too, there has to be some flexibility in your routine. So there you go. Let me know your thoughts, and I'll see you in the next video.